Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome back to another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and for today's episode, a bit of familial tension in the novel Ghana Must Go. But before I jump into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past. And this week, I just wanted to highlight something actually really kind of cool. A bit of a fan film. Five years ago, a YouTube channel called Stormtroopers, Star Wars related, of course, released a 17-minute fan-made film called Episode 1, The Raid. And it was this sort of gang of Irish people who put an immense amount of effort into the production and it really shows. And now, just a month ago, or maybe a bit longer by the time this episode comes out, but just recently, five years after Episode 1, Episode 2 has been released and it's called Siege. Five years is a long time to wait and I'm sure it was because of COVID and also probably because, you know, the funding issues, they're not backed, they don't have Disney backing them. So it's all self-funded, but it was just incredible. I just sort of wanted to highlight it. You know, I've already watched it. I went back and rewatched the first one as well because, you know, why not? But They've put a fantastic amount of effort in, and I think everyone should just check it out because it's fun, it's dark, it's adventurous. The special effects are amazing, given that it's a fan film, so props to them. And I just wanted to give them a little shout-out for their continued efforts. It would have been super easy to just roll over, especially during COVID, to just roll over and give up. You know, it's a fan-made film, it's all self-funded, but they didn't. They've come good, and it's you know it was worth the wait. Thank you so much, guys. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Also, all the episodes are available on YouTube with closed captions, if that's more your cup of tea. Okay, here we are. Ghana Must Go by Teye Selesi, a rich story about complexities of family relationships. Before I start this episode, I think I should just say this. In this novel, there are some very graphic, sexually abusive scenes involving children. They are difficult to read, so if that is not something you want to read or explore or anything like that, then don't read this novel. It's, it is just one part in the final quarter of the book. Something very dark and sinister is alluded to throughout the novel. You don't quite know what it is, and yet you sort of do. You're waiting for the hammer to drop, and then when it drops, you kind of wish it hadn't. So I thought I would just give the heads up. When I was studying literature at university, one of my professors said, you should always warn people about sexual abuse in novels, especially when it's concerned with children. So I am carrying that mantra with me today. So you have been warned. Ghana Must Go is a powerful novel that was published in 2013. The story delves into the intricate complexities of family relationships, migration, and cultural identity, and the pursuit of personal aspirations. Set against the backdrop of Ghanaian and Nigerian heritage, the novel explores the lives of the Sai family, who are forced to confront their painful past and navigate the challenges of the present. 
Through skillful storytelling and compelling characters, Celeste addresses universal themes that transcend cultural boundaries and resonate with the readers long after you have shut the book. So let's get into the actual novel. And of course, a great place to start is an overview. The narrative opens with the death of the family patriarch, Kwaku Sai, a renowned surgeon who abandoned his wife, Fola, and their four children many years ago. The family separation is deeply rooted in unresolved conflicts and emotional scars, and the impact of Kwaku's departure continues to haunt each family member. Following Kwaku's passing, the Sai siblings, Olu, Taiwu, Kahindi, and Saidi, reunite in their childhood home in Ghana, despite the emotional distance that has developed among them over the years. Throughout the novel, Celeste masterfully employs a non-linear narrative shifting between past and present to unveil the intricate histories and motivations of each family member. The reader learns about the children's individual struggles, aspirations and identities, as well as the anguish and resilience of their mother, Fola. As the siblings confront their shared past and family secrets, they are compelled to examine their own personal growth, emotions, and the consequence of their choices. So that was a bit of a long overview, actually, it's a, but it's a lovely little overview. I think we need to start off with a quote. It's a lovely, lovely quote to highlight. It just captures the beautiful writing style. And, I mean, where else to start? But with a quote about Ghana itself. So this is the quote. Then Ghana, and the smell of Ghana, a contradiction, a cracked clay pot... The smell of dryness, wetness, both the damp of earth and the dry of dust, the airport, bodies pushing, pulling, shouting, begging, touching, breathing, he'd forgotten the bodies, the proximity of bodies, in America the bodies were distant, the warmth of it, why had he hated this view, of the beach, of the backs of these fishermen, glistening brown, of the long wooden boats, evangelical names in bright tricolour paint on their splintering sides, Black Star Jesus, Jar Rain, Christ the Fisher of Men in the red, yellow, green of the national flag, and the national spirit of open source ethos. This mixing of Anglican, Rastafarian, Ghanaian? What was there to hate in this? There was only openness, as far as he could see. A cheerful openness. An innocence. An innocent beach on the road to Kokrabiti at 7am, November 1975. A little country lurching, cheerful, unaware to revolution. Little taxi lurching, blasting revolution to grief. I mean, that is just a beautiful passage that you know yeah, rises and falls and flows and then comes to stunted halts. Tae's writing style is thick with reminiscence that goes beyond storytelling and is this personal reflection of a writer who is of Ghanaian and Nigerian descent. But she's not just a good writer when it comes to words written. She's not also bad at the construction and the structure of a novel itself. One of my favourite aspects of the novel was that it kind of built outwards. Tae adopts a lovely structure to the novel that sees the story grow organically from a central moment. It started with this death of Kwaku and then started to talk about the moments leading up to this death and gave the feeling that it was almost this causation and how that filters through and yet Whenever I think of that word causation and that idea, I think of time moving forward. But this aspect means that the story feels quite cyclical. The death of Kwaku is the first stones that drive this family back together, which is beautiful in a sense because it is this man leaving his family years before in the first place that drove them apart. And I, I, you know, I really like a story that's neat like that. And it doesn't seem forced, 
And so the story kind of blooms from this butt of a moment that, I mean, it, it blooms from a moment that just so, so happened to be a death. And from that, each character is fully formed and flourishing, developed and dealing with their own issues, all stemming from this one single action of their father abandoning them. They have all gone on to live separate lives that intersect, but what I really love is Celeste's pointed writing style. These aren't just characters, they are people, individuals on the page with different emotions, reactions, justifications for their actions. Celeste has really sketched out a family and not made them all tropes to themselves. They are immigrants in America, a family unit taking on the world, but what happens if that unit blows up and each person, like shrapnel, hurtles in different directions? One question the novel did pose that I think is quite interesting is that of migration and familial responsibility. But most importantly, it is each character's resilience that defines them. I think we need another quote to hammer home this real clarity that shines through Celeste's writing. Her real acute attention to detail that she elicits and provides a depth to the story. And the quote goes, And what happens to daughters whose mothers betray them? They don't become huggable like Sadie, Taiwo thinks. They don't become giggly, adorable like Ling. They grow shells, become hardened. They stop being girls. Though they look like girls and act like girls and flirt like girls and kiss like girls, really, they're generals. Commandos at war, riding out at first light to preempt further strikes. With an army behind them, their talents, their horsemen, their brilliance and beauty, and anything else they may have at their disposal, dispatched into battle to capture the castle and bring back the honour. Of course, it doesn't work, for they burn down the village in search of the safety they lost every time Taiwo knows. It's an incredibly rich story. It's an incredibly human story. It grounds you. I know I haven't spoken too much about the general storyline, but I think that's a testament to the storyline in general. It is difficult to sum up the different lives these individuals live on their path that separates and then leads them back together. I feel like it's quite an unsung novel. This is Tae's only novel and it's a beautiful one. What would I rate it? I would rate this novel a 3.8 out of 5. I would recommend it to anyone. If anything I have spoken about today interests you, you know what to do. So normally about this time, I like to say what I'm reading, but of late I have embarked upon some big, big books. So I'm going to replace this, what am I reading, just so I don't bore you. I'm going to replace this section with a literary fact section. This is an educational podcast, I guess you could say. So let's try learn something a little extra. Virgil, the Roman poet who was responsible for writing and creating one of the greatest ever poems in history of literature, in my humble opinion, but hopefully a lot of people's as well, the Aeneid was actually unable to finish the final edits. And because of this, he actually thought he had failed to capture the richness and glory of Rome. And so on his deathbed, his final wish was that the poem be burned. This was ignored by direction of Emperor Augustus, and basically it was published after his death, and the rest is history. It really makes you wonder, you know, what could have been lost. I know Franz Kafka did the same thing on his deathbed, and I believe his wishes were followed through with, and his work was burned. You know, it, 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 it's really sad, and it kind of reminds me of the character Juan Antonio from Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Juan Antonio's father is this great painter who paints but never does anything with his art as a way to get back at God. He, he creates his beauty and then denies it to the world, which is sad because 
all of us people, you know, regular people just miss out, which is a bummer because, yeah, we want more. Now, before I close out the show, if you've listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today, to take us away, I think maybe a passage from the Aeneid. So this is a little taste of what that epic poem looks like. The gates of hell are open night and day, smooth the descent, and easy is the way, but to return and view the cheerful skies, in this the task and mighty labour lies.